Hello, everyone. Uh, today we're launching the with ICA the book on the road to the WTO 12th Ministerial Conference, a Latin American and Caribbean perspective. I'm Eugenio Diaz Bonilla, uh, the head of the Latin American Caribbean program at IFPRI. I will be moderating the event. So it's my pleasure now to introduce uh, Johan Swinen, Director General of, of IFPRI and the Global Director of uh, System Transformation at the CDIR to offer, offer the introductory remarks. Joe? Thanks very much, Eugenio. Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I would like to, uh, it's a great pleasure for me to <clears throat> welcome you all to this uh, book launch event, which I think is going to be an exciting uh, event. The book is called The Road to the WTO 12th Ministerial Conference, a perspective from Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, I would like to congratulate very much the authors of the book. I think it's an important book. I've read the, uh, the previous book on the 11th Ministerial Conference in, in Buenos Aires. And I thought the book was very interesting. It was also very timely at that uh, moment, and it included a lot of rigorous policy analysis. So my expectations are high for this new volume. I expect nothing less than that. Uh, I also, we have a, a great panel here today, very eminent speakers. And so I'm, so I'm looking very much uh, forward to the, the presentations and the discussions during the lounge here. The book itself is a, <clears throat> the result of a successful joint effort between the Inter-American Institute for Cooperation on Agriculture and, and IFPRI. Uh, and I very much would like to thank our colleagues from ICA for this uh, collaboration. Um, there's also several other institutes which were involved in the collaboration that led to the book. That includes FAO, the Group of Producing Countries of the Southern uh, Cone, the Institute for International Agricultural Negotiations, Bolsa de Cereals from Buenos Aires, and several collaborators from Latin America and Caribbean region. <clears throat> the broader issue at stake here is that our current uh, food systems are not sustainable nor inclusive. The world needs to transform its food systems to address environmental sustainability and nutrition issues. And as part of this broader issue, the broader <clears throat> paradigm, if you want, or problematic, um, the discussions on the multilateral approaches and the international agricultural trade are essential elements to, to achieve this global food system transformation. International agricultural trade, as we all know, can and does play a critical role in economic development in improving food security and sustainability. And as one of the main institutions for international trade and trade negotiations, the WTO obviously has the power to shape the trade so that trade can serve the greater social goods that we all want to achieve. The book uh, covers many uh, issues, many aspects of the problem, if you want. It uh, discusses the impact of agricultural support on climate and nutrition, impact of COVID-19 on the agriculture and on our food systems, of course, the, the WTO agreements and, for example, the dispute settlement systems. It uh, presents several cases involving the, the, the LAC region, Latin America and the Caribbean region. And it discusses, for example, sustainability standards under the WTO, WTO framework, which are probably going to become even much more important in the future. Uh, as I mentioned already, we have an eminent panel here at the lunch today. I'm not going to take up any more time. I look forward to hear their presentations. I look forward to hear the discussions. Thank you all for participating in today's event. And with that, Eugenio, I'm very happy to turn the floor back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Joe. Uh, the conference is structured uh, as follows. First, um, we have uh, a, a Valeria Pinheiro, the senior research coordinator and co-author and co-editor of the book, will provide an overview of the chapters. Then we are very fortunate to have two outstanding uh, uh, discussions, Leanne Jackson, the head of division of the Agrofood Trade and Markets of the OECD, and Maximo Torero, the chief economist and assistant director general for the Economic and Social Development Department. After that, we have a Q&A session. The audience can uh, send the questions in Spanish or English. And we uh, have all the uh, most of the authors uh, of the different chapters that can answer. If uh, there is time, then I will close with some remarks. With that, um, Valeria, it goes to you. Thank you very much, Eugenio. 
I will have a presentation that I would like to share with you today. So good morning uh, and good afternoon, everyone. And first of all, I would like to thank you for joining us today. And I would personally like to actually uh, thank Adriana and Martin for the editing of this book and Thomas uh, Wamont for his support and all the authors and collaborators of the book that without, this, uh, without them, of course, that this initiative would not have been possible. I would also like to thank Maximo and Leon uh, for giving us uh, some comments on this book. So this book, as uh, you just mentioned, it is the second one in this series. And the first one was done for the 11th Ministerial Conference of the WTO that it was held in Buenos Aires. So this book attempts to provide analysis, ideas and proposals on the main issues to be addressed at the 12th Ministerial Conference and other topics as well that are relevant for the consolidation of the WTO as the main trade organization and agricultural trade uh, in general. So first of all, our motivation came from, among other things, the fact that before COVID-19, more than 3 billion people could not buy a healthy diet. And the fact that calories produced per capita has increased about 80%, and that the percentage of food measured in calories that crosses a border has grown from about 12% to 25% in the, almost in the last uh, 60 years. So with this in mind, as uh, it was already mentioned, between IPRI and IICA, with the support of PIN, the Policies, Institutions and Markets Programs of the CGIR, uh, Grupo GPS, FAO, La Bolsa de Cereales de Buenos Aires, INAI, and with the collaboration of many other authors from the region, we have compiled this book with, again, with the idea of fostering dialogue, entering into the 12th Ministerial Conference, and paying special attention to the Latin American and the Caribbean perspective. So just let me start with giving some context. There are five disruptive events that have affected international context. First, the global economy has significantly deteriorated over the past two years. According to recent projections made by the IMF in October 2021, the global GDP could grow by almost 6% this year and almost 5% next year in 2022. However, this scenario is constantly evolving due to uncertainties in preventing new COVID-19 cases and also that many countries are still implementing social distancing, moving restrictions and other actions that impact domestic economy activities levels and could disrupt supply chains even more as we've seen in the last couple of months. The second one is the unfavorable, unfavorable global economic situation will fit into the growing disenchantment towards multilateralism in general and multilateral trade in particular. Several developed countries like the US and some developing countries like India and Argentina have gone back to policies implemented over the past decade um, that related to market liberalization and more than anything, export restrictions and other protectionism measures. The third one is that the US and China have engaged themselves in a confrontation related to the influence of power in the global sphere that affect agricultural trade in a very unique way. Special agreement made in relation to agricultural trade has resulted in trade distortions and also trade diversions that had affected other countries as well, like the case of soybean, for example, between the US, Argentina and Brazil. The fourth one is the blocking designation of new members of the appellate body to replace those that have ended their terms has de facto affected the fundamental role of the WTO in the resolution of differences between member countries. And lastly, a fifth and completely unexpected train has emerged as a result of COVID-19 pandemic, which has significantly disrupted the global economy and will likely have structural impacts on economic and trade matters. In the aftermath of the pandemic, a different world will emerge with new attitudes toward globalization and also the movement of people and goods. So within this context of change and uncertainty, three main challenges related to agricultural and food trade emerge. The first one is re-examining the traditional agricultural trade issues, such as domestic support and market access, with the context of a new world order. Given the fact that the relative importance and urgency as well as possibility to progress in a multilateral strategy seem to have diminished. The second one is identifying key elements and themes that can define the new roles, functions, and institutional organization of the WTO as the main institution that oversees multilateral negotiations and trade. And then the third one is identifying agricultural trade issues that may acquire greater importance and urgency 
in particular, the identification of new themes that are becoming globally prominent as a consequence of the new environmental and nutritional dimension of the food system. So the papers included in this book address some of these issues associated with these three challenges. So the book was split in two sections mainly. The first section uh, covers some of the seven topics that have been actively discussed at the WTO Committee on Agriculture. And let me start with uh, the first one, so domestic support. Noting that it is still a major concern, a number of countries have increased them in recent times. And it is likely that this tendency will be maintained in the coming years when most countries will be trying to reorganize their economies after the pandemic. Our impression is that in this overall context, it will be very difficult to advance serious discussions in a multilateral environment until the present economic difficulties are resolved. However, it is important to note that Glover, Laborte, and Pinedo's analysis suggests that the impacts of the proposed disciplines for reducing trade distorting domestic support are quite modest, showing that most countries will not have to make significant changes to the level of support given, but with the benefit that it will harmonize support across WTO members, and thus squeeze out much of the policy space that countries have today. Export taxes and restrictions have been applied by a limited number of countries. Um, in their paper, Ilescas and Jorge argue that export taxes are the least damaging export control measure and are an easy way to generate government new revenues. However, they have a negative and lasting impact on the level of production, the application of innovation that contributes to more sustainable agriculture and the stable and reliable supply of food to the international market. Because these negative effects, export taxes and any other export restriction measure should be in the table of negotiations in order to define clear disciplines. For the market access pillar, it is important to know that the levels of tariff protection have decreased at the global level during the last two decades, as well as the overall tariff protection by the many bilateral and regional agreements. However, the conflicting trade relations between the US and China and the economic difficulties emerging as a consequence again of the pandemic have led some countries to increase both tariff and domestic support measures. In the chapter written by Perini and colleagues, it is emphasized the need to focus on solutions at a global level and the importance of strengthening the multilateral trading system to oppose future protectionism escalations. And last, the Asbonisia tackles a debate on the US public stock holdings, special safeguard mechanisms and state trading enterprises for reducing food security and promote development. Pointed out that the use of other interventions could be more effective in solving domestic nutritional needs. The second section of the book covers a number, a number of new and different issues that have emerged and are beginning to influence the agricultural trade environment. The main new issues that are especially relevant in relation to agriculture and consequently needs to be incorporated into the conversations are of two types. The first type is related to subjects that have been dealt in the margins of the negotiations, but are becoming new and promising avenues for agricultural trade negotiations. The main example of this type of issues is the plurilateral agreements. So following the definition proposed by Boet and Laborde in their chapter, plurilateral trade agreements are defined as those that include a subset of countries that negotiate trade conditions in respect to a subset of goods. It appears as a possible avenue to progress in many cases in which there are common interests in a, by a limited group of countries that can arrive to a consensus that will be impossible in the context of a multilateral agreement. One main example is the possibility that a group of countries that are main net food exporters agree with a group of countries that are net food importers, certain conditions to stabilize prices and make food trade between them more secure and stable. The second type of issues are related to the new environmental, nutritional and human health concerns and how they will affect global food production and trade. These topics are being discussed and have received a new attention as a consequence of the recently held United Nations Summit on Food Systems. So the first thing to be considered is the way that policies and support schemes designed to protect the environment will add a layer of complexity to the domestic support and market access pillar. 
Glover Laborde and Pinheiro in their chapter on the impacts of agricultural producer support on climate and nutrition outcomes highlight the effect of removal of fiscal policies and border measures on the environment, nutrition and food security. And then the second thing is the likely implementation of new standards designed to protect the importing country from environmental, nutritional or human health concerns, as well as to avoid some carbon leakage. Example of this will be the carbon border adjustment mechanisms suggested by the EU farm to fork and the implementation of obligatory labeling of processed foods in the case of nutritional concerns. So Papendiek and Everdeen highlight the idea that the aim is not only to ensure that environment and trade instruments are mutually supportive, but to promote the use of trade as a vehicle to deliver on the environmental and resilience agenda. A more focused agenda on these new subjects that could become real barriers to trade would add complexity to the agricultural negotiations. However, we suggest that the WTO cannot avoid taking on board these new issues and perspectives. And then looking forward, so however, the agenda of these trade negotiations and the relative priority of the different themes needs to be re-examined in the light of the new social, economic and political conditions that have emerged in the global context. This examination should take into consideration the economic importance of each theme, but also the urgency, especially for low-income countries and even more so the likelihood of achieving progress. In other words, the definition of the agenda should internalize the difficult and complex global situation and move opportunistically in those issues and themes where it is possible to achieve progress. Furthermore, the current paralysis of the WTO appellate body, as well as the existing bilateral frictions between major countries, have affected the institution's effectiveness to regulate and arbitrate conflicts in food trade relations, as mentioned in the chapter written by Bianchi. It is also clear the need to have a constructive discussion about the future of the WTO dispute settlement mechanism in order to fulfill its role. Gonzalez and Glover also point out to the importance of this mechanism for Latin America and the Caribbean's agricultural export growth and its positioning in global trade. And my last comment is that progressing these subjects require, as pointed out by Campos and Garcia, to assure an adequate level of provision of information on a voluntary basis, transparency and timely notifications. Thank you very much. And before I pass um, for again to Eugenio, I would just to give the announcement that the book will be available online at the IFPRI and IICA website uh, on November 8th. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Valeria. Uh, Lian, please go ahead. Great, thank you so much. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here and to be um, part of this group that's discussing these really important issues. Um, I appreciated the, the invitation to comment on this book, which I think covers uh, such a wide range of topics that I will focus in on just a few. But just to say, um, I found the chapters particularly around um, the kind of existing topics that have been well baked into the WTO ag negotiation agenda really interesting and worthwhile. But I found the forward looking chapters particularly useful, especially as as we're coming off of this um, very dramatic episode with COVID and where we've seen how rapid change um, can happen both in good directions and in um, bad directions. And I think the chapters that were in the book that we're talking about this forward looking perspective are really useful in terms of framing how we think about going into this next phase post COVID. So um, I have my remarks organized around three broad areas. First, I just would like to reflect a little bit about what we what we see coming for international agricultural trade and highlight a couple of um, issues that come through through OECD research. Then also to reflect a little bit on the lessons that we learned from the COVID shocks. And um, this also resonates with some of the some of the writing that was in the book. What did we learn about how countries and the private sector can absorb um, and respond to shocks and what kinds of interventions aren't very useful for the international trade system? And then finally, I'd like to just make a couple comments around these new issues, especially around food systems and sustainability and how that fits into the trading system more generally. 
So turning to this issue of, of international trade and the importance, um, obviously this book highlights how important trade is for the Latin American and Caribbean region and also stresses how a predictable rules-based trading system can really contribute um, importantly for resilience of supply chains. But we know that this isn't just for livelihoods, we know it's also critical for global food security. Uh, the OECD collaborates with FAO every year and we do projections into the future for agricultural commodity markets. And what we see is that um, in, in the next decade, this report, the projections show that about 20% of calories consumed will be crossing borders. So we really know that a predictable rule-based trading system is important. But we also see when we look at these projections that trade is becoming increasingly specialized. And this part of the story is really important for the region that's um, the center of focus in this webinar today. Exports are going to play an important role. By 2030, 34% of agricultural production of Latin America and the Caribbean is projected to be exported. Um, and we know that there are growing regional imbalances and also we have an expectation that we'll have more shocks coming in from climate change. So of course, investing in a well-functioning rules-based trading system is really critical. So I find that the argumentation that's in this book um, supporting that direction of, um, of discussion really important. Um, what we saw during COVID uh, is that really this robust trading system is, imp is important and part of it is because it's an institutionalized mechanism for transparency and monitoring. So what did we see during COVID? Well, um, this book highlights uh, that we saw countries take some some quick responses uh, in terms of addressing these massive disruptions that came through. So they, um, they implemented health restrictions so that they could control uh, the spread of the disease and that had spillover effects all the way through agricultural food systems. But they also took uh, interventions where they, they, they worked collectively to try to smooth over the the disruptions that could happen at the border. So that was a really positive, positive um, direction in terms of showing that this kind of collaboration can make sure that supply chains are resilient in the face of these massive shocks. Um, governments can also avoid making things getting worse, like I said, through this cooperation. Um, but we saw that in fact, many governments, at least in the beginning of the pandemic took uh, took action that could in fact disrupt supply chains. And one of the ways that um, governments overcame this kind of disruption was through uh, engaging in a transparency exercise um, where they were sharing information about what was actually going on on the ground. Um, another really important um, lesson I think that we learned through COVID, and this came up, um, but maybe not in, exceptionally strong way in this book was the rapid uptake in digital tools. So this was really important in particular for, for products that were crossing borders. We saw an eightfold increase in the year and a half um, over COVID of uptake in um, e-certification certificates for um, SPS on SPS systems. And this played a really important role in making sure products can continue to move smoothly across borders. And so now I'd like to just um, make a couple of comments about transparency. Um, I know that transparency ends up somehow being um, uh, described as something that's low hanging fruit. But what we saw during COVID was because there had been a, a disruption more than a decade ago where countries then agreed to commit to transparency exercise through the agricultural market information system, there were habits of sharing information in place, which allowed countries to actually navigate what was such a surprising disruption from COVID. Um, and the lesson I think that comes through this is that we can't take transparency for granted. We need to make sure that we're requiring um, investments in transparency, that we're creating forum for countries to exchange information. And the WTO can play a really important role in this area. We know that, uh, for example, countries are sharing, are expected to share routinely their notification information, um, which helps 
in the sense for monitoring how the rules are implemented on the ground in different country situations. But the WTO could potentially also play a role in other kinds of transparency um, exercises and be able to make sure that this uh, robust sharing of information can continue even when there are shocks, which we expect to continue um, into the future. Um, so, so while transparency, like I said, is sometimes described as this low hanging fruit, it shouldn't be ignored and we need to make sure that we're actually taking seriously how much energy um, needs to go into ensuring that the transparency um, behaviors are already in place before we need them. So my third point that I wanted to talk about was this issue of looking forward. So this book um, highlights in an important way how food geopolitics are going to be central as we think about what we expect from our agricultural and food systems in the future. This year is a really big year for agriculture. We had the UN Food Systems Summit not too long ago. We're having the conferences, conference of the party meetings, both for climate change and biodiversity. And this is really highlighting that we need to think of agriculture within a system, and that system includes different objectives, but also around food. So we need our agri-food systems to deliver outcomes on food security and nutrition. We need them to provide livelihoods for stakeholders within the food system, and it needs to do all of this in a sustainable way. Um, what's really important is that we get the right policy mix. Um, we've done monitoring work at the OECD for decades, looking at how countries implement their policies. And while I know that the, um, when we look at this ministerial meeting and we think about what we, what's realistically attainable in terms of moving forward on um, repurposing support through, through the WTO discussions this year, it doesn't look very optimistic. We need to keep in mind that these kinds of um, domestic support that countries are using can really affect the environmental and food security and nutrition outcomes. So what we see in OECD monitoring is um, governments of 54 countries that we monitor transfer more than $700 billion per year to their agricultural sectors. And this is a combination of market access measures and also domestic support measures. And individual producers receive about 70% of all that, all that public um, transfer. And this can distort uh, decisions um, in terms of the way producers can shift when there are diff different disruptions um, within the food system, such as COVID, but also some of these other disruptions that Valeria pointed out at the beginning of her presentation. So we can't, we can't just assume that change can't come. We need to think about where, sh what direction should we be taking um, our agricultural and food policies so that we can get to a food system that's going to deliver on these big social objectives, which are also highlighted in the book. Um, we need to make sure, for example, that the WTO is there as a forum for exchange. We need countries to engage um, in this kind of dialogue and be able to engage thinking towards the future about some of these big challenges. And I agree with um, the comments that Valerie and others in the book, other authors in the book make that the big um, area where agricultural trade and WTO rules need to, to be moving is thinking about how the agri-food system can um, achieve sustainable outcomes, but also how the rules can get us to a place where we are effectively allowing for transformation and not stuck um, in, in a framework that doesn't help the system evolve in a way that will be better for the world and for everyone in it. So with that, I'll wrap up. Um, again, thank you very much for inviting me to comment and I'm looking forward to the discussions. Thank you very much, Leanne. Uh, very, very useful. And Maximo, your turn. Uh, thank you very much, Eugenio. Thank you, Valeria. And thank you all for inviting me to discuss this book, The Road Towards the WTO MC12, a Latin America Caribbean perspective. So the book highlights some of the key issues in agricultural trade policy that are relevant uh, to the Latin American region. And this is timely publication uh, that should help the countries to inform and consolidate their positions in preparation to the 12th WTO ministerial conference, which will take place in about one month from today.
I have split my, my comments in four areas, starting with the challenges. Uh, and let me start with the challenges which were explained by Valeria, which include uh, in coming years, an agri-food system in the region that will be shaped by multiple global trends and challenges. And let me explain uh, why we call it agri-food systems and not food systems, because agriculture is not only food. Uh, food is a component of it, a very important component, but there are products that come from agriculture like fibers or uh, fuel, ethanol, uh, forestry, that are also part of this system uh, that we need to look at. And of course, in the book, you are focusing only on food products, agricultural food products, but it's important to understand that the whole system is interrelated and is not cannot be treated individually. Although, of course, there are different tracks in WTO that touches different groups. And one of the major challenges that we are observing is what is happening because of COVID-19 and, and the negative consequences that COVID-19 is bringing in terms of health uh, to the economies, slow recovery, recession in many cases, which is creating an effect in terms of food access, especially increasing poverty rates, losing close to a decade of, of poverty in extreme poverty, and huge increases in hunger. We know an increase in one year of 161 million people more and chronically undernourished. So this adds to the urgency, uh, but also at the same time, we know that there is the pressure of the environment uh, and climate change uh, and the ecosystem degradation, uh, which is also putting more pressure towards our sector or a system which is already uh, pretty complex and have significant challenges of, of delivery. And not to add to these disasters and shocks uh, and conflict, which is also creating an additional problem into what we do in this sector. So agri-food trade clearly can play a role here in redirecting our food systems towards a more sustainable path. Uh, and in the LAC region in particular, it holds a strong potential for creating jobs, generating incomes, and increasing access to healthy diets if we are able to diversify the diets that people can, 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 can access to. Uh, but that's the bigger challenge. No? So how we are able to, what can be supplied from, from the Latin American region where you have diversity, not only in the staples in the Southern cone, in the Andean component in Peru, Chile, and now Colombia and Ecuador. Uh, how we can uh, mobilize this food uh, and, and make them to be available in other regions where you have significant uh, incapability of being able to have today in the current photograph uh, the diversity of food groups that they need to be able to have access to these healthy diets. And Latin America and the Caribbean is a large net agricultural exporting region with a trade balance in agri-food products expanding steadily since 2000. While many countries in South America in particular are major exporters on the global scale, the region also includes the Caribbean countries, so bringing heterogeneity even within the region that are net agricultural importers. And this affects the country's priorities and strategies with regard to the agri-food trade, and in particular, the negotiation positions in the WTO. Now, what are my reactions and my second set of, of comments? So outside of the challenges, what are my reactions on analysis and recommendations? First, a few points in terms of, of, of what is coming in the book. Uh, given the growing importance of the region as an agri-food exporter and the significance of markets outside the region, obtaining greater market access uh, is priority in WTO negotiations that many countries share. However, the prospects for multilateral outcomes or market access in the near term is uncertain, and therefore engaging in bilateral or regional trade agreements could remain an alternative avenue for expanding trade. And in the case of, of Latin America, still there is significant space for intra-regional trade. Moreover, greater transparency in trade regulation, as well as measures to facilitate agri-food trade will help to reduce trade costs and make agri-food trade more efficient and predictable, which benefits both consumers and producers. And the chapter on transparency makes an important point on the need of improving notifications of trade measures by WTO members. However, counter notifications as, as a way to increase transparency is a very recent phenomenon. A few countries have used it today and time will show if this can be effective too. The importance of transparency is also highlighted in the chapter on COVID-19, which emphasizes the role of the comprehensive and up-to-date information about policy measures. This is indeed vital uh, to ensure that policy measures targeted at addressing emergency situations such as COVID-19 related shocks are time-bound and consistently revisiting and revised to ensure that they effectively achieve their objectives. However, I would like to add uh, reliable and up-to-date information on market conditions is also critical. And in this regard, the Agricultural Market Information System, the AMIS, which is also part of it, an interagency platform launched by the G20 in 2011, 
and housing FAO plays an important role in promoting market transparency and policy dialogues among the major players in food markets. And AMIS has proven its important role during the COVID-19 pandemic. But we need to keep empowering. And for example, something that we figure out is the importance of having an understanding of how mobility of the goods across borders uh, has to be recorded in real time to be able to count markets when that information was missing, especially at the beginning of the COVID-19. And today, for example, transportation costs are essential uh, to be aware what is going on and where the congestion points are, given the significant uh, recovery of the big economies and, and how they are increasing the demand of transportation and, and of, store of, of vessels, which is putting some constraints on the mobility of food. On export restrictions, it should be noted that in the current crisis, the exporting countries resorted, resorted to a much lesser degree to such measures than during the global food price crisis in 2007-2008. And we have been repeating this several times. Only a very limited number of countries import restrictions uh, on food exports, and most of these were quickly repealed. Overall, the agri-food trade proved to be resilient. And nevertheless, a strong discipline on export restrictions to avert future market shocks that jeopardize global food security will be a welcome development. Latin America also has been able to increase and diversify the supply of staple commodities to the world. We have new countries with huge significant share of exports like Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, which has helped the world uh, to be able to diversify more, although it still is not enough. And still we have risks as we are observing today in the case of wheat because of some weather shocks and because of the increase of the global demand. Other matters of relevance to the region include domestic support and public stock holdings. Uh, and such programs, given their, their scale in many key producing countries, affect global markets. Last week, FAO published a report on public stock holding programs, which, which is a review of policies and, and, and practices that drive their domestic and global effects. I invite you to look at this publication as it outlines country experiences in implementing public stockholding programs in different regions and the evolution of administered and international prices over the last decade, which is relevant for the multilateral negotiations on public stockholding. One point to note is that the countries tend to hold public food stocks not only to meet urgent food security needs in emergency situations, but also at buffer stocks, and something that brings significant questions about the capacity and the institutionality in place to be able to do this properly. And the report shows that the distinctions between these different types is often unclear, as countries attempt to achieve several objectives simultaneously, and which makes the, the solution very complex and sometimes distorted. Public stock, food stock holding programs can play an important role for food security. Moreover, still it's important to better understand how the public procurement happens uh, and properly targeted can provide smallholders interventions. The chapters on liberalization of domestic support to agriculture and sustainability standards highlight the importance of better targeting nutrition goals without introducing distortions. This work complements our ongoing work efforts to analyze in collaboration with IFPRI impacts and of trade-offs of agricultural support to inform repurposing of such programs to achieve society objectives. But here comes my, my third set of comments, which is the mentioning of sustainability and nutrition issues uh, on trade. And here we need to be extremely careful because there is very little literature today to understand causal links between nutrition, uh, under nutrition and overnutrition, so undernourishment and over, overweight and obesity and trade. And it's a very risky topic. So I think it's an area where a lot of research needs to be brought up and especially new data to be able to assess and look if there is this causal relationship. But it's something that has been deviating a lot uh, the discussions without clear evidence. I, I look at the whole literature on the topic and still we don't have solid evidence about causal links. Similar to sustainability is another complexity that is being brought into trade because the agri-food systems have to be sustainable. And sustainability have several dimensions and is extremely complex and could again bring potential problems or potential barriers to trade which we need to be very careful in assessing. The changes in digitalization as I mentioned before is something that is a result and we observed a huge acceleration as a result of COVID-19. The use of iPhyto for example has expanded something that show us how digital technologies can help for traceability and also for food safety which is another important mechanism and another important source of NTVs where we need to work. Now, my last set of comments is about the role of what we do, uh, and our role is to support countries to achieve efficient, inclusive, resilience and sustainable agri-food systems and realize the vision of 2030 Agenda. And in this sense, we value the importance of a universal rules-based, open, non-discriminatory and equitable multilateral trading system and the WTO 
and consistent with its rules for promoting sustainable agriculture and rural development and contributing to achieving food security and improved nutrition for all. Under this FAO new strategic framework is looking specifically to transparency markets and trade. And we believe that this book is a great asset in this respect. And that's why we are putting our priorities in specific activities in each region. And each region is different, but we need to learn from each of them to be able to move forward to a more efficient mechanism of trade. Because as I mentioned at the beginning, if we take a photograph today, the world won't be able to provide the food that is needed to achieve better access to healthy diets if trade is not there. It could be that in the future things will evolve, but today the photograph requires trade and is also linked to better allocation of natural resources, which is related, of course, to the sustainability issue. So in concluding, I wish to congratulate you on the publication of this book, which is both timely and topical. And thank you again for inviting me to comment on the book. Thank you very much, Jorge. Thank you very much, Maximo. Very very useful. I'm glad that uh, you're, uh, you're working on so many interesting topics and one that is close to my heart, the, the issue of public stock, uh, uh, public food stocks for food security reasons. Uh, we have uh, several questions already, uh, but uh, the audience may still uh, submit some of uh, your own questions. Um, I, I, well, I will start with um, David. Uh, Related to the point that Maximo was making about sustainability, environmental and aspects at the, uh, uh, what, how do you see, and, and that's also related to some other um, uh, instrument like the conditional cash transfers plus that uh, FAO is, um, has been working on that includes uh, production support for poor farmers, perhaps environmental public, environmental uh, payments and so on. So how this concerns about poverty and environment and perhaps nutrition may fit within the domestic support discussion. And related to that, Sabine, also if you want to comment perhaps on the after David on the, the role of environmental standards. Yes, thanks. Uh, thanks everyone for being here and thanks Renew, for, for conveying this question. Uh, it's a highly relevant one because clearly um, people in the world today care a lot about the sustainability, both from the social, economic, environmental point of view. And as soon as you use taxpayer money to uh, support uh, part of your economy, you want to have a good performance on the three dimension. At the same time, uh, as we discussed today, there is a lot of talk about how we can make um, agricultural trade greener and really um, an engine for um, both uh, social performance, better nutrition, and trying to support their environment. And at the same time, we know that trade in itself just have a limited scope, meaning that if on one hand you have consumers that doesn't have sustainable practices and producer that doesn't have sustainable practices, we may not think that trade we, by miracle will make the overall system sustainable. So I think it's through this angle that these domestic support, so that are first of all domestic policies using taxpayer money in particular to support farmers, and in many cases also to support vulnerable farmers. And I think that the point you, you are making already you're thinking about, you know, all farmers are, are not equal and all farmers may not have the same capacity to adapt to new technology, to adapt to new climate change, but also to adapt to these new social preferences, what the society is asking them to do, uh, that there is a role. Now the question is, can we use a WTO discipline to um, give a framework to promote the good policies and limit the bad ones. For a long time, WTO discipline was about making sure that what you do within your border doesn't create negative externalities, especially in economic terms, to your neighbor. So you don't want to distort trade with your own domestic agenda that is about you know, redistribution to your farmer or adopting greener technology. And we have inherited from the yoga round, I think a good set of rules that was already a big progress, but now they are a bit outdated um, compared to the new situation in the world, both about, you know, how the global farm system has evolved and the emerged, number of emerging countries now are playing a much more important role. The developing world is a very diverse, you know, universe between China, India, and Sierra Leone. Uh, we are dealing with countries that have different fiscal space, different needs. And so how we figure this and include this in the new new rules is what we talk a, a bit in, in this uh, in this report. So to, to wrap up, I will say, yes, I think that clearly uh, with the W discipline, we can start to be very honest about what are the 
good policy and the bad policy in terms of our overall sustainable agenda. You know, some policies are bad everywhere, and therefore we should not start to even allow them in, in some developing countries saying that we don't really care what they are doing now. Some policies are bad for the global public good, they are bad everywhere. Now we have to give policy space, and sometimes we even need some increased support in some places where for especially I think the social dimension, there is uh, there is a need. And that's where also the kind of cash transfer you are referring to are important, because also at the same time, we know that they are the less source of distortion uh, from a trade perspective. You know, If you want to support the income of your farmers, support the income of your farmers, doesn't give them uh, input subsidies or output subsidies because that's farther from your objective and it creates a, a lot of problem. Now it will be, I will, and I will conclude on that, it will be the WTO member that will know what they want to do with the new discipline. So is it just about doing no harm and strengthen the discipline around this doing no harm aspect or using the discipline really to promote do goods? But you see that's a bit more ambitious and I will be very careful to not you know, overload the negotiation agenda. For MC12, the agricultural um, negotiation doesn't look too, too exciting. So I think we can still achieve things in terms of transparency and promoting a good framework. Um, overload what we want to achieve with the WT discipline on a number of issues. It will not solve everything, but it can help giving a, a clear framework to achieve uh, this multi-targets vision of agriculture. Thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, Sabine, um, if you want to expand one minute, probably we may have to go a little bit over the time uh, because we have several questions, but please, Sabine, go ahead. Thank you, Eugenio. Yes, specifically, the environmental standard by public established under a, a line cycle analysis, their potential environmental impact. Currently, at a global level in agri-food, there are more than 250 standards between public and private with more than 14 categories of impact and different scopes. In turn, they differ in different form of communication by adopting different labels and statesmen. Today, these standards are market access requirements insofar they apply to both local and imported products, and their objective should be to mitigate climate change. However, in order not to become a technical obstacle to trade, it is very important that they are based on objective science already here to need to maintain a fluid relationship with the advances that take place worldwide including all productive actors in their development from cradle to the final disposal based on local production cycles avoiding the fault values that in many cases punish in the results those who do not have their own values existing a transfer of both technical and financial capacity to developing countries maintaining a basic principle of the United Nations Framework Convention of Climate Change that has of common but differentiated responsibility. They need to standardize the media towards consumer as not to cause misinformation should also be addressed. And regulatory mechanisms need to be arbitrated worldwide so that the products in the shelves that are being compared through environmental standards are really like products so as not to be causing a market closure or even the deepening the, the environmental impact that is sought to be mitigated. In order to become a tool of the Paris Agreement and the 2030 Agenda, it is necessary to find a specific regulation for environmental standards by product in the multilateral trade order. Thank you, Sabine. Um, I have a, a, a question for Joe. Uh, uh, there was a failure to appoint members to the appellate body. Uh, what is your opinion going forward and has it affected uh, uh, agricultural trades? Well, thanks, Eugenio. Um, yeah, I, I think a rules-based trading system is only good as, as whether or not those rules can be enforced. And I think the current impasse has re rendered the appellate body moribund, which jeopardizes the whole dispute settlement process. Um, I think that that Ag and food products, what we found in some of the, you'll see in the chapters in this book, is that ag and food products account for about 40% of those disputes. And so far greater than the, the share of overall trade that ag, ag currently uh, holds. So it, it's very important and it's increasingly used by developing countries. So I think these are all very, very important things. I think what's, in, what's important is to realize is that 
you know, uh, most of these disputes are settled before they go to the panel stage. So what the, the dispute settlement body uh, offers to, agric to agriculture is a forum where countries can get together and resolve disputes before they break out into trade wars. And I think that's, that's very important because we've seen over the last few years what uh, disastrous things can happen when, when unilateral actions are taken outside of the uh, trade-based system. So um, again, it's an important uh, forum. I recommend uh, for those who are, are reading the book to take a look at the two chapters uh, by Bianchi and then uh, the chapter done with Annabelle Gonzalez and myself. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Joe. Um, Antoine, you wrote the uh, chapter on uh, plurilateral trade negotiations. And one of the problems with agricultural negotiations has been the very type, enormous diversity across countries, you know, from countries that have large farms like Australia, Canada, United States, to Asia, where all the average farms are less than, than two hectares and so on, and, and everything in between lack very large farms, but also large inequality. So um, it, that calls perhaps to a, dif a differentiation of country situations, rather having just two develop and developing and some other small categories. Uh, perhaps the plurilateralism is a way of, instead of looking at the disciplines and apply to the countries, you look at the countries that have similarities and then you go to the discipline. So perhaps you want to comment on plurilaterals. Yeah, thank you, Eugenio. Um, yeah. Uh, so we look at uh, plurilaterals uh, in this chapter with David, and um, so I remind you that uh, plurilaterals are trade agreements uh, between a limited number of sectors, uh, or covering a limited number of sectors and between a limited number of WTO members. And so, uh, well, the, the many people have seen uh, plurilaterals as uh, uh, having a potential role in the future of the trade liberalizations because multilateral agreements look very difficult to, to conclude. So what we do in this chapter is uh, that uh, we make the distinctions between inclusive plurilaterals and exclusive plurilaterals. Uh, inclusive plurilaterals are, are agreements which are based on a most favored nation uh, basis. So it means that the, the members of the plurilaterals are negotiating uh, an opening of their markets, uh, not only between the, the members of the plurilaterals, but also with uh, uh, open to uh, the WTO members that are non-member of the, of the plurilaterals. So it's, it's on the most favored nation basis. Uh, and and uh, and so it means it's important because it means that uh, the, the rules of the WTO are respected and so it doesn't need any consent by WTO members because it cannot be attacked, uh, it respects the rules. Exclusive plurilaterals, these are trade agreements uh, and without the MFN basis and so it means that uh, it can be uh, attacked by uh, non-members of the plurilaterals because it doesn't respect the rules. Uh, and what we show in this in this uh, chapter with David is that uh, the problem it's feasible to organize plurilaterals, but the problem is that if you add a MFN clause in a plurilaterals, it decreases the value of the agreement for the members of the plurilaterals. It's less interesting, very often. Uh, and on the contrary, uh, if you remove the MFN clause in the plurilaterals, so you augment the value for members of the plurilaterals, but you reduce the value of this agreement for non-members. And very often, uh, exclusive plurilaterals are not respecting the benefits of uh, non-members. So it means that plurilaterals, uh, of course, uh, it's uh, an interesting way to, to, uh, to see, uh, to organize uh, trade liberalization. But the problem is that there is a trade-off between efficiency and, and acceptability. Uh, and this is our, the main conclusions of this chapter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Antoine. Uh, Maximo mentioned that you know, Latin America is the largest net food exporter region, uh, agriculture and food uh, uh, product. Not It's more than US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and even Europe, depending on how you define food export. So being the, net, the, greater, the largest net food exporting uh, region, 
then the question of um, uh, of market access is crucial, as Maximo mentioned. Um, Agustin, uh, you were working on market uh, uh, mark main trade restrictions and market access. Do you want to comment on that? Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Eugenia, for the question. Well, uh, as we all know, the the attention of the international trade agenda has focused on new issues, on the new agenda, such as non-tariff barriers and power standards. And the truth is that little progress has been made on tariff barriers, which continue to affect our trade flow from lag countries. Uh, so negotiations on market access are key for the region, we believe. Uh, but the current agenda, I mean those elements uh, with possible outcomes at the MC12 only include topics in the spirit of enhancing transparency and facilitating act trade uh, that, as Leanne said, are very important but don't alter the core market access commitment. So with this in mind, in the chapter we set out to analyze the measures that we consider to be the most restrictive and distorting for the export of the region, I mean high tariffs, tariff peaks and tariff escalation. Uh, the objective was to provide an update overview to measure the problem and point out the need to include it among the priorities of the negotiation agenda. And, and, and the main results that we, we found are tariff peaks are present in both uh, Latin American countries and main importing countries with higher tariff applied by the, the laters. Half of the country analyzed applied tariffs higher than 100%, and the most affected value chains are grapes, pears, and, and apples, tobacco, barley, rice, poultry, sugar, and milk. Regarding tariff escalation, I mean establishing higher tariff on the products of greater degree of processing is still pre prevalent in main agricultural products, and it's more pronounced in top destination countries than in uh, Latin American and Caribbean countries. And finally, it is very important to, to point out that tariff overhang is also present in most of the products and countries. And we believe that this situation gives us a chance to advance with the reform. A breakthrough, a breakthrough in reducing tariff overhang could, could provide certainty at a low cost and give a positive signal to markets in favor of uh, the multilateral system. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Agustin. Um, uh, uh, Nelson wrote a, a, a section on export duties and export taxes. Um, if you want to comment on that uh, briefly, how do you see the, the, the negotiations evolving on that topic? Oh, uh, thank you, Eugenio. Well, it's, uh, it's not part of the agenda uh, right now. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, countries had a lot of discretion on, on which export are to be banned or approved. So, we propose to to go to move forward in this uh, on this topic in in a similar uh, case like it was prior to the year round. So, a, a tarification process. So, replicate this tarification process. So, uh, export restriction or or export duty should be a part of the agenda by uh, consolidating them in order to negotiate uh, in, in post-MC12. Uh, post so moving forward towards this elimination of restriction or, or, or their tarification, if it's, if it's the case, it should be a, a, a topic. So if countries wish to, to monitor or eventually limit their export, they should do so through a, a more transparent and efficient system that, that that nowadays of course this proposal should be incorporated into a, a broader negotiating agenda which includes some trade-off for those countries that apply this kind of of, of measures uh, thank you nelson yeah one of the uh, big big dimension is the fiscal aspect now for some countries the export taxes are, are part of the important part of the uh, uh, fiscal revenues uh, martin uh, are you optimistic about the MC12 uh, moving forward the multilateral agenda? And we probably go over a little bit of, of four or five minutes, and I hope the audience can stay with us. Martin, please. Thank you, Eugenio. Bueno, I'm always optimistic in life. 
but your question is rather difficult and politically sensitive. So let me be very cautious and, and make a few, a few comments. It is very difficult to know, in part because the world is in a transitional period and a very complicated moment of multilateral relations. So many things can happen in, in the next MC meeting. But as Anne Lee mentioned, we do know two things. First, that agricultural trade and probably food trade will increase in the near future. And it will be become, be because food geopolitics are very sensitive matter. Countries will have incentives to progress in a more liberalized trading system. The second thing is that I think we should not, we should stop talking about agricultural trade and move into talking about food trade, because that is what the UN summit, I think, had one, one of the successes of the UN summit was to install the term and the problem. We are talking about food. And that brings in a number of dimensions and, of course, a number of new themes, as it has been discussed in this meeting, to the WTO. So the WTO will be in a transition mood, I think, in the meeting in the, in the next MC12. It is too close now. We have only a few days before the meeting. So it is difficult to imagine that it will be possible to make big advances or have great big successes especially in relation to the new themes. I think that the meeting will be mainly taking positions, taking notice of the real, of the new themes, taking positions on those new themes, but not advancing in real agreements. However, I think that MC13, their meet agreements will be made. After two years of negotiation with a new perspective, and having understood the new situation the world is undergoing, countries will be more ready to reach trade agreements. Let me just say to finish that that is a big incentive to, for preparing a third book. And <laughs> so the authors should take notice of this. Thank you, Eugenio. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Yes, uh, agricultural negotiations are, have been very difficult over time. We know that they were not part. They were not part. Agriculture was not part of the 48 GATT. Uh, it came into the 1994 WTO agreement with um, a lot of uh, carve-outs uh, and so on. It's been sort of a stumbling block, in part because of the different agricultural structures. As I mentioned before, it's very difficult to have one size fits all. We have the, the food policy dilemma that people want high prices for producers and low prices for consumers. And they made a mistake that David mentioned that instead of uh, supporting the poor, they want to support the crop. Uh, so it, it's been very difficult. The, the main point then is uh, um, that we need a more granular analysis of countries and perhaps uh, plurilateral, it's a way of going uh, uh, in that direction, but also to make, be more careful about the country's uh, categories. That's my first uh, closing comment. My second is on Latin America. Uh, Latin America, of course, we mentioned, it's the main net food exporting region, so it's crucial to establish uh, prices and quantities uh, at the world level. Second is the main uh, global provider of uh, one of the, yeah, the main global providers of um, environmental uh, services. Uh, carbon sinks, 36% are in Latin, in Latin America forest and land. Um, biodiversity, six of the largest uh, countries with biodiversity are in Latin America and the top two are in Latin America. It's crucial for the cycle of oxygen and, and water. So uh, it's crucial for food security, it's crucial for environmental uh, sustainability at the global level, not only in Latin America. Uh, and, and third, because of COVID, that is the most affected region, whatever happens and how Latin America gets out of the COVID problem, it is going to have also um, a global implications. So because of these three, uh, three aspects, Latin America is crucial. And for that, Latin America needs an adequate trade regime, of course, but then it needs a strong effort of science and technology 
to make sure that you can make compatible this uh, agricultural production with sustainability and it needs a strong uh, uh, COVID recovery program. We, I, I wrote for a couple of days ago, a way of trying to use in a better way, a much strategic way, the special drawing rights the IMF distributed uh, in a way that can help uh, to issue a spe specific bonds to help with the uh, financing of the pandemic recovery. So in closing then, um, Maximo mentioned uh, SDG 17, uh, a target 10 that says all the countries should promote universal rules-based, open, non-discriminatory and equitable multilateral system under the WTO. That's a commitment and under a, a, a special a sustainable development goals. So we hope this, this book and this conversation has contributed to that end. And I close with an announcement from IFPRI that tomorrow we, we have um, at 10 Eastern time, the annual formal memory lecture that will be given by UNICEF Executive Director Enriqueta Fore. With that, um, I'll close the meeting. Thank you very much to all of you, especially to the audience and all the people that stayed with us a little bit longer than uh, programmed.